Our reading this morning is taken from Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 7 to 18, and uh, it can be found on page 1029 in the Church Bibles. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share them with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptise you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Well, I bet you've never heard a sermon preached by one of Santa's little helpers before. Have you? <laughs> well, there's a first time for everything, so they say. Well, let's pray. Lord, grant us the grace to desire you and in desiring to seek your face, and that in seeking that we will find you and love you with our whole heart. And Lord, as we seek you, help us to be mindful of the fact that you are seeking us so much more. Amen. Well, you'll be very pleased to hear I have a joke. And this is courtesy of Ian Peake. He's out with the children in Roxalt. So if you don't like it, you can have a word with him later uh, because it's his fault. Now, Danny had recently passed his driving test and he decided to ask his dad, who happened to be a vicar, if there was any chance of him getting a car for Christmas, which was still some months away. Well, okay, said his dad. But I'll tell you what I'd like you to do. If you can get your A-level grades up to A's and B's and study your Bible really well and then get yourself a haircut, then I'll consider the matter very carefully. Well, a couple of months went by and Danny went back to his father and his father said to him, well, Danny, I'm really impressed by your commitment. Your grades have improved and I'm really encouraged with the amount of Bible studying you've been doing, but I have to say I'm very disappointed that you haven't got your hair cut yet. Well, Danny was a smart young man, and he was never lost for an answer. And he said this, Look, Dad, in the course of my Bible studies, I have noticed in the illustrations that Moses, 
John the Baptist, Samson, and even Jesus had long hair. Yes, replied his dad, I'm well aware of that. But did you also notice that wherever they went, they walked? <laughs> That's good, that. I should ask Ian more often, clearly. <laughs> this young lad was someone struggling to do what it took to respond to his father's challenge. It wasn't sufficient to give a smart answer or say the right thing. The practical response was everything. We see that in the kingdom of God too. Our practical response is everything. Today's snippet from Luke's gospel highlights how the people were struggling. They were grappling with God's challenge to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's quite a striking phrase, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. But what on earth does that mean in reality? Well, I think it means this, doing whatever it takes to put God first in our life. Doing whatever it takes to put God first in our life. And so the question the prophet John might be asking each of us, you and I, this morning is this. At the root of it all, what is it that prevents you from putting God first in your life? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. What is it that holds you back? What prevents you from turning away from those things that draw your attention away from God and turning fully to Him? Is it a refusal to take responsibility for your own relationship with God? Is it a lack of care for people or the people of Baston Hill or your neighborhood? Is it your work priorities, fear, apathy, pride, money, pornography, gossiping or complaining about people behind their backs, holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, a lack of trust maybe, the idea that following Jesus is a leisure pursuit that requires very little of you? I know what it is for me. What is it for you? I think I've had to face this issue many times over the years. I'm sure many of you are with me in this. And I'm sure I'm going to have to face it in numerous times in the future. I've grappled to put God first in my life as a youngster at school and then at university. I've grappled to put God first in my life when facing the call to ordination in my 20s. And then several times since through very difficult and painful times in my life. Facing up to whatever holds us back from turning fully to God is something that comes to every single follower of Jesus. But you know what? I don't think John would stop there. He wasn't the sort of person. <laughs> the rest of verse 8, the very challenging words too. And don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Don't rely on your religious heritage. And so to us this morning, John might continue his challenge by saying this. Don't lean on the faith of others. Don't lean on your Christian tradition, on your Christian lifestyle. The fact that you can say you're a member of Christ Church based in Hill, it's not enough. You can go through the motions of worshipping regularly or even fairly regularly, and that's not enough. Repentance, turning to God fully, 
Putting him first in our lives involves producing fruit that flows out from this. You see, in the kingdom, putting God first in your life is an active pursuit, not a passive sentiment. It's an active pursuit, not a passive sentiment. Produce fruit, says John. Producing fruit is more than a spiritual nudge. It's more than a charismatic encounter with God in worship. It's more than a statement of belief. It's a practical response lived out. Now, for those who don't produce fruit in keeping with repentance, the warning is clear. John says these very challenging words. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is hitting home the point that God cannot bear anything that is not in line with his loving purposes in and for the world. He cannot bear anything that's not in line with those things. He wants people to turn, us, you and I, to turn from anything contrary to his loving purposes and then to turn to him by producing appropriate fruit. Kate and I, and the children for that matter, have seen an illustration of this in our own vicarage garden. Just, I'm about to point to it there. It's over there. I do know where I live, honestly. There are plenty of plants in that garden that don't produce fruit or flowers. And that they, yet they use up valuable resources and they take up space. I think I've mentioned the Japanese knotweed before. Interestingly, it's almost, almost been eradicated now. It's only taken five years, all the time we've been here so far. And it's been an epic and no doubt lucrative job for the company that have been hired to repeatedly come to treat the blessed stuff. But this Japanese knotweed, it's not in harmony with the more fruitful purposes and plants of the garden. It's just not. It crowds them out and it tries to strangle the life out of them. And before you know it, it's spreading like wildfire. And alarmingly, most of that activity is happening underneath the soil. That's the knot of weeds and it's happening in a hidden way underneath the soil. We can almost pretend it's not there and yet it is. This helps us to understand John's warning. Be a fruit-producing plant in the garden. Don't just use up valuable resources for yourself without sharing in the loving purposes of God. Because if you're not seen to be producing good fruit in the garden, then the gardener will have no choice but to come and cut you down. It's pretty graphic stuff. I found that really challenging when praying into that this week. It makes you stop and it makes you think. Now the account Luke gives shows that the people originally listening to John's sharp words, and let's make no mistake, they are sharp words, they began to grasp the enormity of what he was telling them. And so they asked the following question, what should we do then? What should we do? Well, John makes it clear that in the kingdom of God, repentance, that's putting God first, requires that practical response. To those with much, he said, you should share with those who have less. 
to the tax collectors, he says, don't collect any more than you're required to. To the soldiers, he says, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. I wonder what would he say to us, to those in education, to those working in the NHS, to those who are retired or taking care of the children and the home or working with young people or in the prison service or working for the council or those in business, those working for the church or those working as a missionary. What is it that holds you back, holds me back from putting God first? What is it that requires us to give something and take some action? What is it that stops us from living like God is first in our life? Repent. Turn from it and produce fruit that shows it to anyone and everyone we encounter. Don't just let your putting God first stop with the singing of a hymn or the saying of a prayer. Let your putting God first be more than a spiritual sentiment. Let it be a practical response that affects every part of your life. It's what I feel challenged to do. And so if here with us right now, John might give us these examples of what this might look like. Use calm words instead of angry ones. Forgive instead of holding on to bitterness or anger. Give to those in need instead of storing up things for yourselves. Meet the needs of refugees instead of simply feeling empathy for them when you watch the news. Why not invite an elderly neighbor round for a mince pie and a cup of tea instead of getting frustrated when you drive behind an elderly driver who's going too slow for your liking. Take responsibility for your own relationship with God instead of leaning on the faith and activity of others. Serve God and other people as much as you can instead of expecting others to do this instead of you. Be a loving, caring person instead of keeping yourself to yourself. Now you might have much better examples of what John might be saying to us or could say to us going through your mind. Now, having said all this, you might think, well, yeah, I'm in agreement with you, but how? You know, you might be wondering how on earth we're going to manage to put God first and produce fruit that's in keeping with this. The intention might be there, the desire is there, but you're thinking, how can I do it? I, I know my weaknesses, I know my struggles, I know all the broken promises I've made that litter the past. Well, John brings the hope of good news, and it comes towards the end, the last section of this part of Luke's gospel. He tells those listening of the baptism of Jesus Christ, the one whose sandal straps he's not worthy to untie. Through baptism, we've got a new start with God. We're washed clean by him, and we die to what was in order to embrace what will be in Jesus Christ. But more than this, Jesus baptizes, says John, in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is a cleansing, refining fire. This is the power of God at work in us for those who heed John's words to produce fruit in keeping with repentance, to those committed to living like God is first in our lives. As followers of Jesus, this is the power we draw on 
This is the power of Jesus at work in us. He's enabling us. He's inspiring us. He's strengthening us to produce that fruit, that good fruit. The writer Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian church, you can see it in chapter 3, verse 20, he puts it brilliantly. He says this, that the Lord is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power at work in us through Jesus Christ. This is how we can produce fruit, and it's good news. This is how we can put God first in every bit of life, by depending on the power of God at work in us from our baptism, the cleansing, renewing, enabling, inspiring power of Jesus Christ. And so to finish, what do you and I need to do to put God first in our lives and to produce fruit that flows from this? What will you do to turn from anything that's contrary to God's loving purposes in and for the world so that you can live like He is the most important part of your life? I encourage you to ask God to show you what that is and then to ask Him to stir up that power within you so that you can practically respond. Please, please don't let your response be no more than a spiritual sentiment that just stays where you are right now. Let it be all that flows and follows from this act of worship. Now, to enable each of us to do this, I want us to have the opportunity to reaffirm our baptismal vows. And I won't do what I did at the nine o'clock where I said um, in the first sentence, um, do you turn away from Christ? Uh, I meant, you know, I just, it was, a, it, was a, it was a mistake, what can I say? I was thinking of the second slide, and I said what was in the second slide and the first slide, and joined them together anyway. But we won't do that. We'll do the proper version, and we'll have the opportunity, we'll stand in a minute or two, and then we'll say these baptismal vows. And then if you'd like to make that commitment, that fresh commitment, which is a really good thing to do, every now and then in our Christian walk. If you'd like to do that with water, it's symbolizing that cleansing power of God at work in you, then I invite you to come forward. There's the, the font there with water in the, in the bowl, and you can simply just get a little water on your hand and then either sign a cross on your forehead or just sign one on, on your chest, whatever you'd rather do if you'd like to do that. And then after that, if you'd like to, then myself and, and Ursula, we'd be really, really happy to just pray with you. If you just give us the nod, and we'll pray a very simple prayer, that the Holy Spirit would give you the strength to produce good fruit for God. That's what we'll be praying, just a simple prayer. So if you'd like to do those three things, you can renew your baptismal vows, you can come and do that with water, and then uh, if you want a simple prayer to pray for the Holy Spirit's strength, then we can do that too. So if you're able, would you please stand? We all wander far from God and we lose our way. Christ comes to find us and he welcomes us home. In baptism, we respond to his call. And so for all those who want to renew their baptismal vows, I ask these questions. Do you turn away from sin? I do. Do you reject evil? I do. 
Do you turn to Christ as Savior? I do. Do you trust in Him as Lord? I do. Do not be ashamed of Christ. You are His forever. Stand bravely with Him against all the powers of evil and remain faithful to Christ to the end of your life. May Almighty God deliver you from the powers of darkness and lead you in the light and obedience of Christ. Amen. So if you'd like to come forward, then please do so.